for launch in three, two, one. Go. This is a dangerous beat that we're dealing with now. Introducing the Dog Pound Daily Podcast with your host, Andrew Sight. I must be louder. And site expert Stephen Kabitza. If it's a blowout, Monday's podcast is going to be a bummer. But if they win, it's going to be a party. This DJ is so funky, man. Okay, let's go. We are back for the Friday edition of the Dog Pound Daily Podcast. I'm Andrew Seip. With me, as always, my partner in crime, Stephen Kabitza. This week, we've got the Indianapolis Colts in what seems to be a must-win game for the Cleveland Browns. Stephen, what are your thoughts on this game coming up on Sunday? Well, I completely agree it's a must-win. Wrote about it earlier this week, and it's a common theme with the Cleveland Browns. It's week three. Most teams are settling into the season. You look out in the AFC West, things are good for most of those teams, but the Browns are going up against arguably the worst team in football because the Colts are are without Andrew Luck again. And it's a must-win, even though they are favored. Are they the first the first time they've been favored on the road since 2012, right? I think it was 2014 against 2014. the Jags where they got whooped. Oh, that's when Alex Mack went down, right? Yeah. It may, I think it might have been later in the year, but we can, we can check on that. I think it was later in the year when they were rolling, and then they got whooped by the Jags. And then well, they wouldn't have played the Jags. Downhill. They wouldn't have played the Jags twice. They played the Jags like week four. And then he went down, the running game took a crap, and then from then on it was just a downhill spurt. But staying on those same lines of the running back during that time, Isaiah Crowell had some comments this week regarding the run game. I know we've talked quite a bit about this in last week's podcast. You know, he wants the ball more, obviously, and Hugh Jackson rebuttaled with, you know, well, if you're going to get the plays, you got to make them. So what are your thoughts on the run game or maybe Isaiah Crowell's comments versus Hugh Jackson's comments? Two things. First off, you're correct. Week seven <laughs> against the Jags, twenty-four to six. Followed it up with a few wins. Josh Gordon came back. Everything went downhill. But back to Isaiah Crowell. Sorry, that season was a sad time for. It was <laughs> happy for like it was happy for a while until weeks. week seven, and then once week seven hit, it was you know we all know what happened after that. But yeah, to your point about Crowell. I th- it's funny because I did see an article. It may have been on the Athletic subscription required, and which we both have, proud supporters. It was saying that y- you know they had this conversation, and it may have not been on there, but I saw it somewhere. It's that money is always being thought of. Mm-hmm. So when you see, oh, Isa- like we and you say, Isaiah Crowell needs to get the ball more. Hugh Jackson says, I'm going to get him the ball more. But the reason these meetings are happening and Crowell needs to get the ball more is because if he doesn't, his market value is just going to plummet. I don't think that's playing into Hugh Jackson not running the ball, but I do think it's <clears throat> excuse me, what's playing into like Isaiah Crowell's mind a little bit. When he's out no, there playing, yeah. yeah, if he's out there thinking about his contract all the time, it does one of two things. It either distracts him from the game at hand or it motivates him to want to play well. So we've seen it work both ways. I mean, you, one could say that Kenny Britt last year played really hard in a contract year, got 1,000 yards, and now now look at him. So I, I think it's, it's definitely a mixture of both. We saw uh, Joel provided us with some uh, nice video intel in our Twitter group about Isaiah Crowell missing some holes. I, I obviously don't think he's thinking about money in those situations, those exact situations. But if he's got holes like that that you can drive a truck through, you got to be able to make those plays. No, I agree. And 
we did see some Trent Richardson-esque runs running right into the back of linemen. But we're, t- we're taking... And I'm not trying to be a Crowell apologist. I'm just saying. Well, once you say I'm not trying to do something, you, you are, are inherently. <laughs> so I'm trying to be a Crowell apologist. He's barely getting any carries, so we're overanalyzing a few bad plays. I agree. There's going to be moments when even great running backs make a bad run that after they go, ah, oh, I didn't see that out of the corner of my eye or uh, something. Look at Ezekiel Elliott last week. I mean, he had nine carries for like eight yards or something and he just pouted the whole game so it's i I agree it's not a a permanent thing with running backs especially but i just look at the game flow and i think there's just got to be a little bit more room for some carries in there just to to give them a rhythm a little bit you know it's tough to like when you're given limited chances like that it also limits your ability to make mistakes you know so take those 10 carries for example if he's getting 22 carries a game you know, maybe those 10 carries are the ones where he doesn't break a run, but there could be 12 other carries where he's able to bust a long gain or, or really move the chains on a drive that, that enable the Browns to score. So I still think it, it's a little bit on both parties here that they both need to be on the same page in terms of, yes, we need to run the ball more, but we also need to make plays when they're given to us. I agree with he needs to make the plays, but man, I don't think Hugh Jackson is ever going to run the ball. Uh, it's and it's weird because pe- the reporters ask him about it and it's a simple yes or no question are you going to do it or not and it's not like an opposing team's going to get secret information if he says yes everyone runs the ball but it's just this weird like oh yeah i understand we need to do that more uh we're looking into it <laughs> we'll let you know after this week yeah. it's like just do just run the ball if it's first down and you run run it again if it doesn't work at least the defense has opened up a bit it's an obvious passing down but last week every down was an obvious passing down because they were in the shotgun and they just clearly he he runs it like he has like to hit a quota of like 10 yeah and that's that's something i don't understand either i think we we just talked about this before we started recording but just no play action there's no Granted, you have to have a running game in order to make play action effective, but I think that's a big part of of what you see down in Tennessee with Marcus Mariota. I mean, it was a big feature last week with the Baltimore Ravens. You know, play action is such a big part of what you can do, especially in a vertical passing game. And the fact that the Browns one don't utilize it, or and two are just unable to even attempting to execute it. You know, it just doesn't really make too much sense from that aspect staying with that i think we're going to move into another player that needed to step up a little bit in terms of his playtime was actually called out by hugh jackson in a man-to-man challenge kenny Britt. he needs to have a solid week this week i think what are your thoughts on kenny Britt? that was a quote unquote man-to-man conversation i obviously i'm not trying to demean what you said but he needs to have a big week he needs to do something something i don't believe i don't believe he he will do something (laughs) and there's a lot of criticism on twitter of oh look at him dogging it on this play then i believe there was a someone looking at the film that andrew hawkins former browns receiver said no it's you know sammy coates was on the field didn't know the play uh for those who saw these tweets kenny Britt was just trying to do something kind of got caught up so but at the end of the day, he needs to just get open. He's making more money than the rest of the receiving core because most of the receiving core, now that Corey Coleman's out, 
is making the minimum. Well, okay, you brought up a good point in that Sammy Coates didn't know what he was doing. But that's not an excuse for a guy like Kenny Britt or, I mean, Isaiah Crowell or this defense. You know, I, I'm seeing a lot of, you know, excuse making. Well, all oh, this offensive line's not gelling together. Well, that's what we all had training camp for and offseason OTAs. It's not like these guys weren't there. I mean, this is all after the free agency period. This is all after the draft. So I I honestly think there's really not an excuse unless it's a a testament to how bad the coaching staff truly is that these guys aren't able to execute common plays. Like um, there was a play where there was a receiver coming in motion. I, I don't remember who it was, but the snap came to the quarterback and it almost hit him. Like how are these timing plays? Like what are you really working on in practice? It's so frustrating to watch these plays not be executed in the game because it it just drives the question of what is going on in practice. Two points from what you said. First about the linemen, I I hate the oh well they you know it's still early they're not gelling together. This is their job. It's offensive line. I mean I get it's it's difficult, but at some point I mean it's run blocking too to an extent. So that's just pushing the guy in front of you forward. And if you're unable to do that, why did we invest all this money? Back to your point. Sorry, I cut you off. Why not? Yeah, they should be gelling week one, play one. There's there's just not enough time in an NFL season for that to be a problem for more than a quarter. But to Kenny Britt, it's tough to even really have realistic expectations because we've seen nothing out of him. But and these are all still empty words to me of, oh, Hugh Jackson challenged him and Kenny Britt accepted the challenge. Because these conversations could be as small as, like, quick in practice. Hey, like, we need you to step up. And Kenny Britt's like, oh, okay. And then in the media, they're like, yeah, man the man. Like, technically, it was a yeah. man-to-man <laughs> conversation. And a ch- challenge, like, it, he's still getting paid millions of dollars. It's not like it's all incentive-based. So, really, if... Here's, I guess here's my main takeaway. If he has another one reception game and it's not under Sean Kaiser, say Kenny Britt's just not getting open, you might see a rotation that really lessens his role even though Corey Coleman's out. I think they should just flat out cut him, to be honest. You know, I... I go back to his attitude after... Three games into a four-year contract. I, I would go back to his game after Pittsburgh. Or it was that the game where he dropped that wide? Yeah, that we dropped that yes. wide open ball in the middle of the field. Crucial drop. The attitude that he had after the game, where he was so like abrasive and defensive about the fact that he dropped it, and the media was asking questions about it. Like, yeah, dude, that's a huge part of the game that you messed up. Okay, that's the media's job to ask you questions about it. So own up to it and either get better or don't play. And at this point, I mean, from what we've seen, I'd rather him not play than be any part of this football team. The problem is we're so used to, from last year, Terrell Pryor being the owning up to everything and really, you know, dedicated player that when someone like Brick comes in, we're like, hey, you made a mistake. Like, everyone on this team makes mistakes for years. Just own up to it. But some guys, it's right after they, you know, he did the game and they're obviously angry about it. So I don't get too angry about that. That was like but- the next day in practice, I think. Or that was the next day. I, either way, I mean, it's just not a good look because – if you're going to to mess up, at least be accountable for it. Like you're on a team with so many young players that they see that and go, oh, well, if he, you know, he's getting paid 16 million guaranteed and he's dropping balls and he doesn't care about it. Why should I, you know, maybe that's not what they, the the young receivers are thinking because maybe it's a chance for them to step up, but you've got to think that some of that's going to rub off on these young guys. And that's not the kind of culture that the Browns are trying to cultivate. Things are so bad with the receiving core that Rashard Higgins, my favorite player, has risen from the practice squad to one of the starting wide receivers 
over Ricardo Lewis, which is interesting, but it's not like Lewis isn't going to play. Yeah. It's just a kind of a probably a, hey, Higgins had the best game last week. Let's list him as a starter. I, I think it's interesting, too, that I believe Nathan Zagura tweeted out last week about how they called up Higgins and kept Case and Williams inactive because Higgins would play the slot. And I just thought it was a little interesting that they put Higgins in the slot or that they can't necessarily find a guy to play a slot receiver. You know, I think that's why obviously Ricardo Dude Johnson's out there. He's a running back. Well, I, I would think a slot receiver. I mean, you can, you can find those guys anywhere. I mean, look at a guy like Cole Beasley, Ryan Switzer, just to name the two <laughs> in, in Dallas over there. But I just, Andrew Hawkins too. You mentioned him earlier. I just feel like these guys are a dime a dozen and the Browns are either not utilizing them correctly or the quarterback's just simply not finding them. And I think, as much as, as harsh as I am on Kenny Britt, I think that is a part of it too, that the quarterbacks just are, simply aren't looking his way to an extent. I have a quick point to add before we go on yeah. or respond to that. It's about Nathan Segura and his coverage. He seems like I have no ill will toward him at all. I really enjoy him on TV in and case social media. Li- in case he's listening. <laughs> but man, is he the biggest stand for the Browns. I know he works. He has to be. For them, no, I know, but man, I cannot imagine that's why it's not him personally, it's the job he has to do. Where it's oh, like, yeah. man, well, we have Casey Williams now being dressing today. I'm like, man, you know, that's not important. Well, the worst part is like when he'll quote tweet people and like talk about player, like not even out the obvious, like Miles Garrett type players, like guys like. Like a BJ Bellow. Marcus Burley or like a James Burgess, like backup linebacker. He's like, oh, James, great on film. Like, you know, it's just that that kind but of it's hype. Good. Oh, it's he's good a gr- for the team to do that. But man, has that got to be tough? He's a great hype man. Great hype man. You know, he'll get me pumped every Sunday. But oh, he, yeah, I watch on Channel 5. It's like, I'm ready to go. And then you see him on the sideline just kind of shaking his head. I'm like, oh, Nathan Segura <laughs> shaking his head. Yeah, it's going bad. He's got, it's got to be a little defeating after a while when they never win a game after saying all these players are so good. But tis the life of a, a Browns media member. And quick, another thing, too, me and you used to like to talk about maybe a throwback for people listening who used to do the same. Kind of reminds us of the Andre Knott post-game interviews. Oh, my Andre goodness. Andre Knott has gone from the purgatory of interviews to the best job ever. Yeah. Indians dugout, or, you know, dugout man, field announcer. He would always be like, oh, we're here after a 49-3 loss, and I'm with <laughs> Brian Pompriand, uh, Pom- <laughs> who had seven good snaps. My, oh, what if that was the game that he, like, ended up getting cut after, you know, like, Ryan... My always my favorite off Alex Max foot. How uh, <laughs> you had the yips? Yeah, my favorite was always the hey. Uh, this is Andre now in the Browns the Browns locker room here with Phil Dawson. Phil, Phil, you kicked four field goals today. Uh, you were able to connect on all four, being the only points that the Browns scored. You know how do you th- <laughs> how do you how do you twelve <laughs> loss? <laughs> how'd you how'd you feel after that performance? Or like a punter, like you know Chris Gardaki, you averaged uh, a forty six yards a punt. Yeah, you know, that's pretty good average. You know, it's just like those and kind he of had players. To be quiet because they just lost, so the locker room was like tense. Oh, I don't think he's ever been excited in a Browns locker room. A- anyone, at least in the last two years. That's it. That's enough. Sad Browns nostalgia. Like, remember those losing interviews? Yeah. Let's move into a little bit of another storyline that that came about this week. Miles Garrett not necessarily being ruled out for week three. Uh, he's made a huge step in his progression with the training staff. Steven, depending on his health level, let's say 75%, do you play him in week three in such a dire matchup 
that you desperately need a win and desperately need a pass rush against the Indianapolis Colts. All the coverage I've been seeing of Garrett makes it seem like he's a Yeti or something. It's like this faraway, grainy phone footage at practice of him walking onto the field, and they're like, Miles Garrett walking. (laughs) Here we have have a Miles Garrett. He's walking onto the field. (laughs) There is no reason why he should play this Sunday, no matter how Really? No reason. The Colts team is so bad. I think and he has to play. They invested he so play. much money in Miles Garrett. Do they really need to throw him out there this Sunday? Obviously, you don't want that injury to be re-aggravated. But if the training staff clears him and he thinks he's good to go, I think that's that, that cost you game one against Pittsburgh with Ben being able to – or the lack of pass rush. And it essentially cost you in game two because there was really no way to affect the game against the Ravens. So I think he's got to – if he's able to play, I think he got to put him out there. I think this team is in such a position at su- or such a crucial juncture at this point in the season already just based on the fact that they lost they went 1 in 15 last year making Hugh Jackson's record 1 in 17 overall so far. I just think there's got to be some is that sort bad? of it's uh pretty bad. I think there's just got to be some sort of spark that this defense needs in the pass rush department and Miles Garrett certainly brings that to the table. I would like him to be back, but if it's I'm fine with it being week four against the Bengals, regardless of if they really think you know him is the, he's the X factor this Sunday. He's the future of the franchise. I think they need to let him completely heal so he doesn't go out there and tweak it, and then it lingers, and then it's a Joe Hayden situation. I can see that. I'm certainly not a Miles Garrett esque or any athlete for that matter. I'm a couch athlete, but. Um, I just remember in college playing pickup basketball and I, I rolled my ankle pretty hard. And then two weeks later, I was like, oh, it's okay. You know, I'll go out and play again. And it was, I mean, I probably played two minutes on it and I rolled it again. So if that's any indication of how these things tend to heal up, maybe he's a magician or some sort of witch doctor and, and heals himself quicker than the normal human. I know we've seen that with AP and Supreme athletes like that in the past. So maybe he will be ready to go. Maybe he won't be either way. Like I said before, this is going to be a must-win game for the Cleveland Browns. That being said, should they lose this game on Sunday, and I see your face already through the FaceTime, <laughs> through the FaceTime cringe as a hopefully this doesn't happen look, what happens if they do lose in your mind? Fans will panic. The media will pick up on the panic. But I think everyone's so used to it, it won't, like, Hugh Jackson won't get fired. Can you imagine if that happened week three? But if the Browns win, Chuck Pagano might get fired. But, so this is kind of a weird must win for both teams because we're like, oh, we can't lose to the Colts and the Colts are like, we can't lose to the Browns. Yeah. T.Y. Hilton guaranteed them a win, I think. He's like, someone uh, someone brought up the similar question that we're asking and said, you know, what do you think about going 0-3? And he's like, it's not going to happen. So (laughs) guys are playing the Browns. But I think if they go 0-3 against the Andrew Luckless Colts, the panic will ensue. The postseason hopes will completely be dashed. I, that's what part I of it. I mean, my my biggest thing, especially with them wanting to build this whole culture and going 4-0 in the preseason was such a big deal for this team, which, yeah, it is for because us. you haven't been able to win, but you have to translate that into on-field victories in the regular season. You're not – the only way to change your culture is to win football games. I mean – it doesn't matter how many people, how many veterans you bring in, what your front office philosophy is, what your coaching staff says. If you can't win football games, you're going to lose the locker room. And unfortunately, if that if, 
if they lose to the Colts and then continue this stretch against the Jets and the Bengals, it's going to be a rough year for this team. The problem, too, it's not just them. Like, they're in a weird situation. It's not just them being 0-3. It's them being 0-3 after a 1-15 season. Exactly. So starting for – and a lot of the team is very young. Uh, think how many, you know, just first-year guys are on the team, drafted and undrafted, especially with a rookie quarterback. If you go to 0-3 and you start hearing the grumblings of some of the other guys, like, man, like – it's if Hugh Jackson's good at keeping things positive, keeping things positive, but there's only so far you can go before it's like, Coach, we're we're not very good, we're not winning. There's a problem. Well, the message just falls on deaf ears. You know, you can. It's same thing with Marvin Lewis. That's why I don't understand how Marvin Lewis has been there for so long. But you saw it with Andy Reid too. They went to four straight NFC Championship games, and at some point, you just get tired of doing the same thing over again without getting over the hump. So you always have to think, you know, someone else will be able to get us over the hump. I just think that this this team especially needs to keep the front office and coaching staff intact for like three to four years just to let Deshaun Kaiser play out his rookie deal. Because at that point, you've been able to to keep the same coaching staff around, to keep all these position players, you know, around like that are that are core building pieces. You're able to at least try and get somewhere. Like I've I've never been more envious of the Jacksonville Jaguars, to be honest. I mean, they yes, they turned over their front office this year, but they stuck with Gus Bradley to the end and Blake Bortles, and they've put a lot of good pieces around that team. So it's only a matter of time where you've got a, a first-round pick to come in there and really, or even a veteran quarterback like Chad Henney, to just put them over the hump and, and become that playoff contender that we've, they've, we've wanted for so long. Yeah, they, they let the natural, you know, a fair amount of time run its course before they said, we need the you know, kind of kickstart this and yeah. start a new. The Browns, it's you never even reach that point, so it even keeps the optimism alive. Like, oh, well, I mean, that was only two years on Mike Pettin. That was only this many years on Mike Shermer, blah, 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 blah. You don't forget to let it run uh, its course. Don't forget the one year of Rob Chudzinski. One freaking season. Anyway, back to, sorry, back to your point. <laughs> Can, it's like... It's. <laughs> I don't even understand it. Yeah, that just that they just need to... If Hugh Jackson's here for three years... It's a minor miracle. I agree. I agree. But let's let's focus on the positive now. We've got. I think they're going to win two. By the way, just I agree. to be clear, I, I think f- they're going to win their next three games. Ooh, bold claim, baby. Bold claim. I like it. it like you said, I mean, it, they have a chance to do it. So again, this is me just looking at what I saw the last two weeks and looking at where the Browns need to be. Simply not good enough. But you've got a like you said a chance in these next three games to really set yourself up and build that mojo because not only if you win three games against like these poor teams do you build that that locker room like culture winning like you get that first taste but you also build a little bit of mojo moving forward to when you start playing those better teams you know you're you're finding out things that work finding out like plays that do work players that using them in certain situations you know you just get a better feel for the team and hopefully the offense moves along at that point so we went from supremely pessimistic to very optimistic here in the last <laughs> 40 seconds of the podcast. But, you know, I, again, I think it's a good matchup for Deshaun Kaiser in the passing game as the Colts give up some of the most explosive plays or most of the explosive plays in football as a defense. So that being said, we shall move into our fantasy football segment, being the Browns uh, as lack of skill positions that they have. You know, Isaiah Crowell is not necessarily a guy that you would want to start on your fantasy team. Do you agree? 
Oh, well, he's starting in my Yahoo League. <laughs> Still? Uh, You're sticking Isaiah, with it? Isaiah Crowell getting 1,000 yards is a hill I'm willing to die on. <laughs> it's where I'm currently dying. <laughs> I think he has 70 so far. Yeah. 70 yards. 70 yards. It's uh, He's got a little bit of a way to go, but... You know, I'm still starting him this week. Again, you can't pass up the matchup against a team like the Colts. You got to think that the Browns are going to be able to score some points, hopefully do what they want to do and play with a lead and and afford, give Crowell, you know, the carries that he desperately needs. Can I share my biggest fear for this Sunday with you? Yes. Of course. Colts opening kickoff return touchdown. Browns come out passing. Pick six. <laughs> Kaiser throws 55 <laughs> passes and like four picks. And people are screaming for Kevin Hogan to come in. That's my worst fear. I think that is truly say, the I'll worst. I'll even say it's irrational. Yeah, I would say that's that's probably the worst case scenario that we're looking at here. 55 passes. He has, His arm gets hurt. Well, that would play well, you know, um, maybe not from a fantasy perspective. But, you know, I actually would consider starting Deshaun Kaiser – in one of my fantasy football leagues, because I have Russell Wilson and Andrew Luck, ironically, and Russell Wilson has really done nothing this year. So looking at just the fact that the Browns have passed downfield the most, or Deshaun Kaiser has thrown the most passes over 20 yards by a decent margin, and the fact that the Colts give up the, the biggest plays so far in this early season, he's not too bad of a streamer to pick up this week, as long as he you know, doesn't turn the ball over. So... Another guy, based on if they throw the ball 55 times, should be your boy, Richard Higgins. Oh, yeah. I think he's a solid play in PPR as a flex. What about you? I actually had him on my roster in our Dynasty League, 25-man roster. I have him now. And I cut him once he got cut. You pick him him up? Yeah, I got him. Naturally. I'm just picking up all your your scraps. Well, he got cut from the team. I thought that was it. (laughs) Trust me, I like... He's a leading receiver. Oh, I had like four players. I had like Jeremy Curley. Like I had all these players that got cut from their teams and like still aren't signed for my roster last year. I had to do a total, total tear down of the bench. But that being said, let's go to the Indianapolis Colts side. We've got T.Y. Hilton, Dante Moncrief, Frank Gore, Jack Doyle. Aside from T.Y. Hilton and Jack Doyle, I'm not really playing any of these guys because the Browns have been pretty decent against just specifically the run game not necessarily against running backs in general though what do you think i think ty hilton's a safe play because i think he'll have like a minor antonio brown style game where he gets all like most of their passing yards but not like a big touchdown game i think frank gore is pretty bad he was good like eight years ago Mm -hmm. but this browns team has shown that they've been gashed on defense a few times it just depends how they show up if Jabril Peppers can be seen on the television screen <laughs> how they're going to defend plays I don't think but Frank no, Gore's I, I would only touch I would only take T.Y. Hilton but if I had to I wouldn't touch any Colts this week yeah I don't think Frank Gore is necessarily a good play he's just not as explosive as a guy like Buck Allen or Terrence West he's not that receiving threat that's going to be able to get you those points I think the Colts are going to be playing from behind so it's not going to be a good matchup for him unless they get to the goal line, which, you know, as we all know, he's he's a solid play there. Jack Doyle is actually my sleeper pick. I actually have to pick him up this week in my big money league because Jimmy Graham has continued to lay a fat egg every week. So Jack Doyle, obviously the Browns have been exploited by tight ends so far this season. Is that something, you know, that Greg Williams is going to look for? Or do you think they'll continue to play those safeties all that in the next area code? I think the safeties are still going to play deep, but I think 
I, it's also different because the Ravens are just better than the Colts. Yeah. So their offense is going to run more efficiently against a, you know, a team like the Browns. But he'll make adjustments. It just, I mean, me and you don't really know the intricacies of the Colts' offense. And with Brissett in there instead of Andrew Luck, not going to be running at a high power. I'd probably see more blitzes. Um, I'm sure he'll adjust to the tight end play. Hopefully we don't see Jack Doyle running 10-yard slants the whole game. But, like, it's I can't predict anything with the Browns because yeah. fans go, this seems like the obvious fix, and the coaches go, well, what about if I do this? And it's the completely opposite thing to fix the problem. Exactly. Part of the issue, I mean, like we've talked about before, is Jabril Peppers playing that far back. But it's also a lack of pass rush, too, that it kind of exploits that because – not only are is the middle of the field wide open for like those quick slants like you mentioned i mean they're just not even getting any pressure and that's why i want miles garrett to play so bad their offensive line the colts offensive line is so bad so bad and that miles garrett would be able to feast on this matchup but like i said not gonna risk the high i would risk the high ankle sprain but i don't think he's going to suit up for the browns in week three but them being so bad allows them to give him more rest meaning other guys should be able to still dominate, play at a higher level. Just bring him out at halftime if it's, if it's that bad. <laughs> All right, we're going to move into our game predictions. How did you do in the pick and pool last week? I wasn't uh... – I did really well. I got three games wrong, both primetime games, and I also picked the Browns. That's your first problem. In my other pick em league, I would have won some fat cash if I didn't pick the Browns, but you know what? I'm picking them this week. Sticking with Believers it, I'm picking. never die. <laughs> you know, that's actually interesting. I am picking the Browns as well this week. Do you have a score? Like, what, what do you think the score is going to be? My score prediction last week was actually 24-23. You laughed at me. The Ravens scored 24 points. So this week, I'm going to go, and I I picked the Browns to win, so. But <laughs> I'm going to go 27-13. 27-13. That's Barn interesting. Burner. Because I have written down here 24-13. So. Well, that's wrong. Zane Gonzalez is going to get some late field goal action. Yeah, just a, that, the last insurance policy before uh, before the clock hits zero. But, no, I do think the Browns are going to win. I think it's uh, there's a sense of urgency that I've seen from Hugh Jackson in his press conferences so far that I think he's feeling, I wouldn't say desperate, but you know that's kind of a good word to describe it in terms of just their, their wantingness to win early in the regular season just to get that monkey off his back and there's nothing wrong with being desperate like they need to be they need to act like that because you can't you can't start every season you know that they won their second game of the year two years ago with johnny menzel's starting quarterback tennessee titans 28 14 sticking with the picks you know what's your lock this week Ooh, i actually have an oh it, it's my eliminator pick which i am currently two and oh in it's going to be the steelers over the bears i was going to choose that one but then I remembered what I picked last week, which was Houston over the Bengals on Thursday night. And I realized that they play the Patriots in New England. A rough matchup for Houston offensively because they're going to be behind the whole game. And I just don't think that offense has enough to do with it. So I'm picking New England over Houston as my lock. What's your upset? Well, I guess the Browns are favorites, so that can't be an upset. <laughs> I do have an upset, though, because well, in my pick and pull, it's like the season's so lopsided so far. Yeah. I say it's tough to really pick a big upset. Yeah. But I mean pretty much anybody playing the Jets or the Browns, the Bears or the Browns or the at this point I I I'm picking Tennessee over Seattle because I Seattle has not played well so far. 
Tennessee's got a pretty solid front seven with Jarrell Casey. I think Seattle's very vulnerable on their offensive line. They've got to keep Russell Wilson upright. Even then, I don't think he's been that accurate with the ball, so I'm picking Tennessee over Seattle. I picked Tennessee, but I'm not sure if they're big underdogs. That's why I'm trying I'm trying to find something that I have a true underdog. But I will give you an upset. All right. A fun upset. You know what? I'll go primetime football. Redskins over the Raiders at home. Interesting. That's a nice pick, actually, because I am starting Terrell Pryor over Michael Crabtree in my flex position in fantasy because I'd rather play the guy who's not playing against Josh Norman, and the Raiders don't have any cornerbacks. So. But I refuse to be held to that pick. It is strictly for podcast purposes. As I, I could s- see it happening, although Kirk Cousins, not really sure his consistency, even yeah. though he's one of the richest men. Yeah. I was going to say, you're going to pick it on the podcast, but then not pick it in the pick and pool. Yep. That's how I roll. <laughs> but I think that just about does it for us. You know, like always, we'll be back on Sunday. Well, Monday, technically we'll record on Sunday, broadcast on Monday to the rest of you. Steven, do you have anything else you want to say to our valuable listeners? Basically Browns need the win. If well they said. don't, <laughs> what do you think? What's your prediction? Uh, need to win. <laughs> zero, zero tie. <laughs> Oh, if they tied, that'd be hilarious. We are back after a non-loss, but no, really just, I'd say, enjoy your weekend. Um, don't get too stressed during the game. Just go Browns, and thank you for listening. That's it. You heard the man. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you on Monday.